Hello, everyone. Greetings. Um, thank you, Brad, for um, allowing me this opportunity to be here. Brad and I were having coffee a couple weeks ago, and I was just talking. We were just talking about life, and, uh, and I was explaining some of my background history to him and how um, preaching and teaching has always been something really um, that has brought a lot of uh, excitement for me and goodness in my life because... Um, I, am, I don't have the most uh, attentive spiritual disciplines, right? And so, what I'm, but I'm good at doing a job. And so when somebody gives me a job to do, I'll do it. And so if I've got a job to prepare for something for people, then that gives me a reason to really dig deep in the word and look at my own life and look at what I see around me. And um, it's, 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 it's really wonderful. So I thank you for that. No, it's not easy. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of pastors don't like to share their pulpits. So I take this um, as a, a great privilege. Also, it was fun that it worked out that yesterday was Carrie's birthday, as I understand. So uh, Brad didn't have to worry about making last-minute changes on his sermon. He could just concentrate on getting the brisket ready, right? I understand uh, there's not a, any, uh, any significant event in the Thayer family is going to involve some smoked meat. So we're hoping that uh, we got excellent brisket done yesterday. Okay, to all of you... Um, I want to say, you know, give the typical welcome, but also, you know, if, if you don't hear anything else today, uh, here's, some, here's some attaboys, okay? Here's some encouragement that uh, I think it's important that just getting your bodies here on a Sunday morning like this is, it's an important thing, right? You could be someplace else. You could be sleeping. You could be out having breakfast with your friends. There's a lot of people out there who are doing that, but you chose to be here. And that says something. That says to me that you have glimpsed something here, experienced something here. You've heard something. You've felt something in a song. You've had an encouraging word from someone that you know, even someone just speaking your name in a way that your name is not spoken in the normal part of the week. You've experienced that. And that's why you're here again. And to me, that suggests that maybe when we come here, we have a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And that's what we're being, that's what we're, we're working on praying for today. So in this series on Teach Us to Pray, today is thy kingdom come. We're praying thy kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, you know a sense of what it means because you're here, because you've experienced it before. And what if all of that, what if these feelings, experiences, relationships that you have, what if all of those are some type of glimpse of the kingdom? Well, how do we go deeper with that? Well, a couple weeks back, uh, Jeremy and I were having dinner together, and, uh, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a couple weeks at Ballard. Let me tell you what, uh, what, what I'm thinking of. And so we started going back and forth on this uh, idea of, of the kingdom and what the kingdom means. When Jesus says, pray for the kingdom to come, what does that mean? So here's two guys, you know, both of us fairly engaged in our faith, you know, possibly above average intelligence, and we're, we're, we're talking together about the kingdom, and both of us realized that even though this is something that Jesus talks about quite a bit, the kingdom doesn't occupy a big part of our faith vocabulary. So Jeremy's like, well... The disciples thought that it was a political kingdom that Jesus was talking about, but they were wrong. So, so there's that. 
You know, like that's, that's kind of as, as far as it went, right? And I think for many of us, that, that's probably what we've, what we've heard, what we know is, you know, we have this kind of standard concept, standard, uh, standard response. Well, disciples thought it was a political kingdom, wasn't a political kingdom, and that's where it is. There's no further, we, we don't dig any deeper, but it's something that Jesus talks about all the time, and he tells us to pray about, which tells me we should dig a little deeper. Okay. So the entire 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew is filled with seven parables of the kingdom. We have that? John, where are we? Yeah, okay, great. We're getting there. Good. So these parables of the kingdom that come in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13 feel a little bit to me like mysteries, okay? That's how I want to treat them here because I love mysteries. My favorite books are mysteries. My favorite movies are mysteries. And good mysteries have the following characteristics. You've got intriguing characters who are searching for something critically important. And then you've got a satisfying, revealing twist at the end. And the parables have all those elements. So if we can connect with the characters in the parables and find out what they're looking for, then we're going to have a tool from that that's going to help us pray for the kingdom. That's what we're going to do today. Is that worth a shot? I'm still asleep. Doesn't he know it's daylight savings? I do, but it's worth it. Here we go. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice praying for the kingdom through Jesus' mystery parables of the kingdom And we're going to do that by exploring the characters in the kingdom parables. Okay? All right, so what do I mean by exploring these characters? Well, let me give you a fun example that's not from Scripture. Uh, John, why don't you bring that little video up, and we'll get ready to play it, and then I'll tell you when to hit it, okay? So, not not, that, 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 okay, all right, hold on, hold on, we're good, right? Okay. I want to give you a fun example of what I mean by engaging these, engaging characters. Now, this one's not from Scripture. Um, and it's also, I want to give you a disclaimer, this is something that I used for my business. Now, if I was out there where you are, and somebody came in preaching, and they said they were going to show me a business video, my hackles would be up, okay? Who let this guy in, you know? I understand that. That's good. They should be up. But um, I'm going to risk it anyway because I think this is a good demonstration of what I mean by kind of getting into some, uh, some characters. And, um, and it's going to help us today as a, this means of envisioning the kingdom. So the idea for this little video that you're going to see didn't come from engaging characters in Scripture. It came from engaging characters in Lord of the Rings. And I started asking this question, what would it look like if I was a real estate agent in the Lord of the Rings universe? And I said, well, what would it look like if I was working? I don't know how many of you have, have seen the most recent, uh, you know, uh, installment. But you, get, you have Ellen Deal. Ellen Deal is the strong father, captain of the guard. And he's got this wayward son, Isildur, okay? And so I was thinking, okay, well, what if I was working with those people? And then what if, uh, as a realtor, I also happened to be an orc, Okay. So then this is, this is, what, uh, this is what came from, uh, from those. I made three of these videos. Uh, I'm showing you the best of the three. It's only 30 seconds, and it moves pretty fast. So, so get ready. And I will also confess that after this effort to this point, this uh, video has generated zero clients. 
Okay. All right. So. Orc Realtor, you are the final hope for our family. For 12 years, our son has lived in our basement. Can you help us? Orc Realtor, you're a nice fellow, but I already have a plan for home ownership. Through the glories of war, I shall win great renown, the love of my people, and inherit the palace of my father. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Okay, I think Jesus observed people well, right? I think there's, there's many times that you can see where he interacts with people and he sort of intuitively knows what's going on in their lives. And the reason he does that is because he, he watches, he observes, and he sees them. And so I'm wondering, what if when he tells these mystery parables of the kingdom... He's got these people in mind that he happened to see at the market or at the synagogue. And so when he's speaking, those people come to his mind, they come out. And what if we then tried to interact and engage with those same people ourselves? If we did that, we will find in these parables tragic characters, legacy characters, heroes and villains. And we'll see the kingdom more when we empathize and engage with those characters. Okay? All right, so here we go. First mystery of the kingdom of God. This is the parable of the sower from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So what do we find here? What kind of people do we see? Four stories, four seeds sown, four people observed. The first three of them are kind of tragic stories. And the last one is a legacy. So let's try, let me tell you an example of what, what I see here. So the first one, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Okay, so the interpretation that Jesus gives us here is that someone briefly hears this creative word of God, but doesn't understand, and the evil one comes and snatches it away. So this person that I'm seeing, I'm going to call her memory wipe woman, okay? And you can imagine you see her too in the market. You see a woman with a perplexed look on her face. Like her memory was just wiped. What was that she just heard? Someone said something fascinating. Someone said something inspiring. But now it's gone. 
Suddenly a shiver comes over her and she feels sad and lonely. Huh. Oh well. Maybe she'll remember some other time. The next seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. Jesus later tells us this is a symbol for the word that takes root, but dies in times of hard work or trouble or persecution. So the person I see here is what I'm going to call the big laughing over tanned man. Okay? So you see in the market, you see a, you see it, you hear someone laughing. Big belly laugh erupts in the middle of the room. And it starts with one guy, but soon everyone around him is laughing too. And the smiles are genuine. His humor is funny, it's not rude, and clearly people want to be with him in moments like this. But you look closer. His eyes are red, washed out, and bleary. Maybe his belly is starting to push out on his waistband. And just outside the crowd, he sees one of two of his ex-wives walk by. She looks fit and healthy. And he recalls her ability to concentrate, set goals, and work hard. That's something he could never do. The third seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And this is what Jesus tells us, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth wealth choke the word. And I didn't, hold, hold on here, John, because I didn't get you a little, uh, I didn't get you a slide for this. But the person I see here we're calling Anguish Man, okay? He sits with his back to the wall because he's craving some sort of stability in any form that he can get. You look at him closely and it looks like he's starting to choke, like he's having trouble breathing. She's so sick, you hear him say. Is my wife going to live, you hear him say. Everything good in his life came from her. And if she doesn't make it, he thinks, as a surge of anger swells within him, if she doesn't make it, then it's all worth nothing. And he's going to burn it all down. And finally, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. And the interpretation here from Jesus is simply, she gets it. Somebody gets it. And the woman I have in mind here, I'm calling legacy woman. She's an elderly woman, but you see her sitting at table with a young man. And the man says, you know, this probably sounds weird, But I had to meet you. I recently wrote down the names of the five most five people who've had the most positive influence in my life. And I just discovered that they all worked for you or are related to you or somehow know you. She doesn't say much. She listens to his story, and when he leaves, he feels more grounded 
ready to face the future. And she says to him as he gets up, you know, your request wasn't weird at all. In fact, it was the fourth such meeting that I've had this week. Four seeds sown, three stories somewhat tragic, and one story of someone who really gets it. And the parable of the sower tells us that life is hard. And people struggle to hear that creative, power-generating word of God. Do you know people like memory wipe woman, like the over-tanned, big laughing man, like anguish man? Do you yourself maybe feel at times like one of them? Or do you know people like legacy woman? Let's hold them in our minds and see what happens as we pray for the kingdom. Okay, so we're going to stop now and do a little prayer exercise with these people so we can figure out how it feels, how we'll do it. So I'm going to lead us, and then at certain points I'm going to stop and we'll say together, Lord, may your kingdom come. Okay? All right, let's try this, see how it works. Let's pray together. Father, for those who have heard your voice and know its goodness, but whose faith has been snatched away, leaving them hard, callous, empty, lost. We pray for them. Raise them up. Speak again into their lives. Silence the voice of the evil one. And Lord, we pray together, may your kingdom come. Father, we pray for those people in whom your word has grown and developed and who struggle for the courage and energy to keep moving, to dig deep, to stretch higher. Revive them, God. Give them a vision of your strength, emboldening them, empowering them. We pray together, Lord, may your kingdom come. Father, for those people who cannot seem to hear you above the noise of their own worries or the deceits of wealth, we pray that you would comfort them, steer them back on course. We pray together, Lord, may your kingdom come. And Father, for those people in our lives in whom your word has grown, those people who have loved us well, inspired us, cared for us, blessed us. We give you great thanks and we pray that we too might have a similar legacy. Lord, we pray together, may your kingdom come. Amen. The second mystery parable, the parable of the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. He replied, 
The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Who do we see here? Who's that character? I see the craggy-faced farmer. He's wiry and strong. His face is cragged from time spent in the sun. He is seasoned. He's mature. He speaks very few words, but every one of them matters. He's not interested in maximizing his output. He's interested in watching the earth produce. This is what he loves to watch. But lately, strangely, he feels like someone has been watching him. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Someone is watching him. Tonight, while the farmer is sleeping, he will scatter weeds over the farmer's field to sabotage it. He'll do it because it's fun. He likes to destroy things. He's terribly smart. What he likes most is scattering the weeds so deep in the field that if someone wanted to get them out, they'd have to tear up the whole thing. Let's pray through the parable of the weeds. Father, we pray for people who are working hard, straining their bodies, exercising their minds, doing the best they can to feed their families and build good businesses. We pray especially for those who feel fear that their efforts are jeopardized by people who wish them harm who destabilize systems and prey on those who do honest work. We pray together, Lord, may your kingdom come. And God, we also pray for people who find it amusing to cause others pain, who tear down in an instant what others have labored long and hard to build. Wake them up. Reveal to them the reality of your good judgment. Convince them that everyone will one day have to account for their deeds. We pray together, Lord, may your kingdom come. Okay, we have prayed through two of seven of these parables. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead, okay? We're just going to do those two. But hopefully you get a sense here that this is something that you could do yourself, right? It's not that difficult. And these parables are often, if you, if you have, let me, let me ask you this, if you've ever experienced this. It's a, it's a danger to us that when we leave church, the very next thing that we go on to is the next thing in our lives, right? Like, okay, what's after this? We're all busy people. We've all got stuff that's going to come next, Right. And so the church gets compartmentalized. The word gets compartmentalized and just stays here stuck. 
And so you're always, you're thinking, we don't like that, right? Think like, boy, it'd be great if I could talk more with my family, with my friends about this, but you know, it's kind of hard. I, I did an experiment uh, the last couple weeks where I just said, okay, family, I'm going to read this parable. What do you think? Let's, let's go with it. And around our dinner table, we had, uh, <laughs> we had these really good conversations about the parable of the weeds. And so I asked my kids, like, what's, the, who's the, who, you know, what's going on here? Who's, the, who's, who's pulling the weeds? It's the, it's the, the, the evil one, right? Why, uh, why is the evil one pulling things out? My son had this great line like, I don't know. I don't know the ways of the devil. That's good. I'm glad you don't know the ways of the devil. But the point is that these parables are, are made to created so that we can engage with them and talk about them. And you really don't have to work that hard for it. The work is already done. Jesus already did that work in, in creating it for us. So you can do that. And you can go further, whether it's in conversation with people or in your own mind and your prayers to say, like, who's actually in there? Who do I see? And where do I see myself? And when you have those visions, then when you pray for the kingdom to come, you know that you're yearning for those people with tragic stories to have those stories healed and blessed. And you know you're praying then for this seed to take root in your own soul so that you can have a legacy. And you can think about the people who have had a legacy in you. Okay? So that, that's the idea. Okay. So a good mystery, as we said, has intriguing characters looking for something at stake. And then possibly, if we're lucky, a nice twist and reveal towards the end. So let's see what we've got here. Let's see if there's a satisfying twist and reveal at the end of these parables. Is there something like a good mystery has, something that was on the surface the entire time, but maybe we didn't see it or we didn't realize its importance? To raise the stakes and to give you one final clue, I'm bringing in a celebrity. Actually, two celebrities joined together in one song. It's you 2 and Johnny Cash. For the record, I understand that playing you 2 and Johnny Cash doesn't immediately make me cool. That's fine. It's okay. And it's a little bit of a weird song. It's a B-side song, but it has this one haunting line. And when I heard this line, I said, one of these days I'm going to be able to preach and use that line. And this is it. Okay. Here we go. sons turn their fathers in I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit they say they want the kingdom but they don't want God in it they say they want the kingdom but they don't want God in it. We're all gathered here in the same room at the end of the movie. Maybe this is the time that we can reveal the whodunit. Here's the revelation. 
you did it, I did it. We are the culprits. We have erased God from the narrative. We have killed the king. That's part one of the final, final twist. You did it, I did it. We are the culprits. We're the murderers. We erased God from the kingdom, from the narrative, and we killed the king. Number two, Jesus has snuck the king back into the kingdom. Number three, Jesus has done it in such a way that he just might persuade us that we don't have to kill the king again. Allow me to explain. I would hazard a guess that in the books that you read, the TV shows that you watch, the movies that you enjoy, God is never a character. Okay? Now, there might be some oblique references here or there. It may be that we perceive some godly presence when we see redemption happen in a story, or justice be done, or sacrifice made, or mercy extended. And maybe you get some gods, lowercase g, in some Greek mythology reboots. But those mainly act like reckless humans. God himself is not a character not doing anything in our stories. Why? Second question. I'm sure many of you have made five-year plans for your life. Some of you may have made several five-year plans for your life. And if you're honest, I imagine you would get a little nervous if I asked you, hey, where does God fit into your five-year plan? Why? The same reason God is not a character in our stories and the same reason that God doesn't make his way into our five-year plans is the exact same thing. It's fear. It's fear of God and not the good kind. In narrative terms, God is a really big character, right? So when you write God into a story, all the other characters start to get really small in a hurry. It's like casting a major star in an ensemble cast. Everybody starts to look at the biggest personality in the room. And in personal five-year plan terms, God is also a really big presence. And so, of course, it makes you nervous to ask how God fits into your five-year plan. It makes me nervous, too, because God doesn't fit into a five-year plan. God dwarfs the five-year plan, and we instinctively feel that when we ask that question. Political terms, God is a really big king, and we fear tyranny, so we kill the king. It's all the same stuff. We are wired by fear to erase God from the narrative. We are wired by fear to kill the king. But here's the next part of the reveal, the next part of the twist. Jesus has snuck God back into the narrative. Jesus has smuggled the exiled king back into the kingdom. The sower tossing out the seeds is God. And the farmer separating the weeds from the, from the wheat at the harvest is God. And here's the last most significant part of the reveal, the twist. 
Jesus has done this in such a way that he just might convince us that we don't have to erase God from our stories anymore. We don't have to kill the king again. We don't have to be afraid of God. What do we most fear from a king? What have people always feared from a king since the beginning of time? What are we still fearing from mayors, presidents, and czars? We fear tyranny, using power to squash us. But Jesus has smuggled the king back into the kingdom as a farmer. And does that farmer act like a tyrant? No. Does the farmer squash life? No. The opposite. The farmer's throwing out seeds. Some seeds are going here. Some seeds are going here. Some seeds are going here. There's other seeds going here. There's this sense of space, of of generosity, of liberality, of expansiveness that goes and sets the tone for that entire mysterious parable. This little mystery, this this tiny little mystery has this great sense of space within it. Now, not all the seeds take root. And I've always thought of that as a tragedy. Maybe you've always heard that as a tragedy. But the thing is, the fact that the three seeds don't take root is also the very sign of the gift of God's freedom to us. You see that? The king could squash us into obedience, but he doesn't. He's a farmer king throwing out seeds. His liberality, his generosity is how we know that in God's kingdom, we don't have to fear a tyrant. And that's why you want the kingdom to come. So what do we most fear in a king? Tyranny. The misuse of power to squash us. That's the parable of the sower. What do we most need from a king? Safety. And that's the good use of power to protect us. And guess what? It's in the very next parable. I mean, this honestly amazes me how creative and brilliant these stories are that Jesus tells. In 10 sentences, he's given us incredible theology and even political philosophy, right? He's shown us a way, despite, look look at the parable of the weeds, despite the deviousness of the enemy who sows weeds right in the middle of the field, the farmer never freaks out. The farmer is never out of control. The servants are anxious. Should we dig it all up? The farmer answers calmly, no. Wait, I don't want you tearing up my wheat. You are the wheat. We are the wheat. We are valuable to him, incredibly valuable. Now, the farmer king knows there's an enemy. He knows what the enemy did. But he also has a plan that evil will be destroyed. He knows the end of the situation, that the wheat he planted, the seeds he sowed, will be gathered up and brought to rest in his barn. Safety. Safety. What do you fear? What do you and I and everybody else on the planet fear from the king? Tyranny. But we also know we need from the king safety. And in smuggling this king back into the kingdom, Jesus shows us both God's restraint and his plan and his power. Friends, you and I are in a real-life mystery. Every day of your life is a riddle. 
Every stage of your life is a riddle. When you're a teenager, you're trying to figure out the riddle of how do I get through school? You're early on in your career, you're figuring out the riddle of how do I pay my bills? And you have kids, you're trying to figure out the riddle of how I pay for, how I pay for my kids and how I raise my kids. And you get to the end of your career, you're trying to think, what do I do next with my life? How do I care for my health? Every stage of life, you have a riddle. I'm getting to middle-aged, and I'm, trying, and I'm starting to think, like, it never gets easier. Like, every stage, i got to figure it out all over again. Your life is a mystery. You are an intriguing, valuable, interesting character, and there's something at stake in the mystery of your life. There's something that could be won or something that could be lost, and that's your very soul. But the end of the mystery, the satisfying twist, is that your story does not have to erase God from the narrative. The kingdom of God in which you are welcome to be a part is a kingdom without tyranny, with freedom for you to grow and live and become strong and create a legacy, and safety so that even among the dangers of this world, the enemies that are always trying to subvert you and steal your joy and keep you from growth, God has a plan. He's never out of control, and that plan is to bring you safely into his barn, safely into his kingdom. Let us pray. Lord, would you bring this kingdom into our lives? Would you bring this kingdom into the lives of every person in this room and every person who will be touched by the people in this room today? Lord, we long to see it. Help give us today through these parables a vision, a sense of what it would mean to pray for the kingdom and put our hearts and souls into it. Lord, let us see the good, your good vision for the people around us, the people we touch. And let us, uh, let us believe in your power, Lord, to make it happen, that you are scattering seeds, that you are a generous God, that you are a farmer king who wants to see your kingdom grow. Lord, may the kingdom come in our lives and in the lives of our world. Amen.